This is Sable from Orange County, California. I would rather walk on broken glass that had been sharded out of a rampaging hippopotamus than listen to I Doubt It with Dollamore. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right, let's do this. Episode 132 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I, as always, am your host, Jesse Dollamore. And sitting across from me, as always, my lovely co-host, Brittany Page. As always, but we'll see. Still here, not fired. Not it's fired. It's a shocking situation. Is it a shocking turn of events that you've lasted 132 episodes? Yes. <laughs> I don't believe you that you're shocked. Okay. I think that you've gotten better as time has... We just... Oh! We just... Well, let me finish my thought before you fucking jump down my throat, weirdo. No, I was just reacting to the burn that you <laughs> delivered upon me. It was hurtful. Very surreptitiously, too, might I add. Mm-hmm. As I toot my... Mm-hmm. Toot my own horn. Yes. As I do. Mm-hmm. I was going to say that we were just speaking to someone over lunch the other day about the evolution of the program. Yes. Or the program. As the professionals say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we really had, it was nice to talk about some of the early episodes and how we have, we have gotten better. We have evolved as, and I, this sounds arrogant, but I'm using air quotes, everybody. We have evolved as broadcasters. Mm-hmm. Although we have, we still have people who review us and say that I, I work too hard it sounds like I'm trying to pronounce every word. Yeah, well, that's a problem. And if you could slur <laughs> your speech, that would be great. So we're going to get moving on with the program. And the thing about the day is... Now I sound like Bill Cosby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do. So we are happy to be here. 132 episodes deep. We appreciate you showing up each and every time. Let me take this opportunity to admonish you that if you are listening to my voice right now, and have not rated and reviewed us on iTunes or whatever, by whatever mechanism you listen to the show, go out and do that. That helps us out tremendously relative to our position in the iTunes rankings. Uh, during this aforementioned lunch, I, I, I was talking about that our highest rate ranking so far has been number 86. And on its face, that may sound terrible, but for me... It was a beautiful moment since there are over a half a million podcasts and we just happen to be a lonely island amidst many. Right. So thank you. And the ratings and the reviews really, really do help us. So we appreciate that. As always, before we start the show, I want to drop the, actually not as always, just I'm going to hopefully start doing this. 657-464-7609 is our number. You can also email us at idoubtit at dollamore.com with a voice memo from your smartphone if you'd like to sound off. We are still taking submissions for promos at the top of the show where you say who you are, where you're from, and how much you never listen to I Doubt It with Dollamore. And they're always so fun. <laughs> they're, getting, they're getting very good. Yes. Hilarious. They've maintained a level of quality that I never would have expected. Oh, well, don't say that. I, I have low expectations, Brittany it's Page. It's mildly insulting. No, it's not. I just have very low expectations. Okay. I don't want to set myself up for failure based on high expectations. Of course, of course. Yeah, that's that's my routine. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So, I want to talk about something. Brittany and I were just at a party recently. And it was a BYOB party. For those of you outside of the United States, if this is not a common vernacular that I'm using, it stands for bring your own booze. Well, beverage. Or bottle. Beverage. Well, we're adults. Let's not. I'm not. Some adults do not drink alcoholic beverages. All right. All right. right. Beverages. Mm -hmm. 
So in this case, it was alcohol. And for everyone else at the party, it was also alcohol. Yeah, but listen, if I, if I, if I brought a 12-pack of root beer or cream soda or ginger ale, I don't think people are going to be dipping into that. No, it's bring your own beverage. Yeah, I guess bring your own. The emphasis, the emphasis should be. I don't know why your own. there's no N in, in emphasis, but for, for all intents and purposes today, it may. So it's bring your own. That's right. That's, that's where the emphasis lies. And we brought our own in the form of two bottles of wine. Yes. We thought if everybody's bringing their own, we will. there's no way we are going to drink more than one bottle apiece. And normally what it ends up being is I'll drink a bottle and a half <laughs> and Brittany will have a half a bottle. Well, this is over, you know, several hours oh, during yeah, a party. Oh, yeah, a long party, right. And so we brought one bottle, we opened it, and then we poured some into our glasses, left the open bottle that was not completely used, and then left another bottle that was unopened near our opened bottle. Right, amidst the cacophony of other bottles. Right, so we left with our drinks, went and joined the party, and, you know, mingled and did that whole thing. Ran out of our bring your own beverage, <laughs> went back to fill our cups with our bring your own beverage, and oh, oh. And we found the bottle, the open bottle that was half full, we found it to be empty. Empty. So we figured, oh, just a, 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 a random happenstance, an unfortunate occurrence. What we'll do is open the other bottle and give it another shot. Well, the same thing happened, which left us un unboozified. We didn't have any drinks to go back to. Well, that was annoying. But also the most annoying part is it was BYOB. Well, of course, that's the entire that's the conversation I want to have with the audience here is what do you do? Are we being weird? Because listen, I'm not a stingy guy. If I bring I don't mind, but. We were under the in, we were under the 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 understanding that if you bring what you're going to drink, everybody will do the same, and then no one's drinking someone else's booze. No one, there's no need for for scavenging, which is what we ultimately thought about doing, but then we're headed off by the past by another guest, someone who had had a little bit too much to drink and decided they want to have a conversation, and then they shared what they had brought, which was ample. So I guess my question is, getting back to it, is is that just selfish or is there some kind of strategy we could use to avoid this happening? Because I don't want to be the guy who leaves his bottles out in the car to go back and fill up. And that just seems weird and, you know, like a like a stingy kid. Yeah, but... I don't, and I don't think so at all, but, but we all, we all know me and we know how I feel about these things. You and are the stingy kid. It's, it's bring your own beverage and this kind of stuff happens all the time. I mean, at dinner parties, this, this is always happening in these situations where there's alcohol out, you know, you're invited somewhere. They say, bring your own drink. Yeah. And then someone arrives and starts drinking other people's drinks when it was, hey, weren't you going to bring what you wanted to drink? Yeah. You know? and, and so it's a very, it's just a weird social thing because everyone knows that it was BYOB. So what happened to, well, I'm just going to walk up to this counter that has everyone's wine and I'm going to take my pick of whichever one I want. <laughs> right. And I'm going to do that all night. Yeah, but that's exactly what happened. That, that has to be what happened. It's a lot like when you go out to dinner with friends in a large group, and then you split the bill, and you always end up paying more than you would have had you just had your own separate check. Right. Because someone's not kicking in evenly, or you end up with somebody's fucking appetizer that you didn't order or eat. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, so but but like you were saying, how do you avoid the situation? Well, I'll tell you, I don't know how I do it. I just get frustrated and bitch and complain. Brett number one has the perfect solution to this, as evidenced by at the crab cooker in Newport Beach for your for your graduation. He just puts his card out and pays for it. Whatever, just yes, okay. I don't want to. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to stress about it. I'll just pay for everything. And he ended up paying for someone at the. 
the, the lunch their entire meal. In fact, it's been a running joke <laughs> for years now. So let's wrap this up. I want to ask the audience, what do you do in these kind of situations? If you find yourself at a party that is BYOB and you find your shit getting jacked, son, someone skeeving on your liquor or your booze or your beverage. Or your root beer. Right. Don't touch that cream soda. Yeah, what do you do? I, I really want to know. I mean, does the stick in the booze out in the car, is that a strategy that really should be followed? Or is there another subtle way that we should employ? Because we have a lot of parties coming up that are BYOB, and I would like to be as civil, but also as not taken advantage of as I possibly can. Once again, 657-464-7609. Let us know. Little listener feedback. Got an email from Sean in Denver, Colorado. He is asking a question about, well, first of all, he asked if we take suggestions for topics, which we absolutely do. Sometimes we don't get to them because it's not something I'm very in tune or smart about, which actually could be everything. <laughs> um, but we absolutely do. In fact, anybody out there who has a, a, a pet topic or something they want to talk about. Shit, if you want to talk about it, I'll even have you on and we can hash something out. But yeah, absolutely, Sean. We're going to get to to uh, your particular thing with that Glenn Beck episode. This is a little inside joke since I'm just talking to Sean now. But uh, I want to give it the the right amount of attention. So I, I've, I've downloaded it. We're going to listen to it and maybe even isolate some, some sound bites from it and talk about it. So... Hold your horses. We're going to get to you. Absolutely. And we appreciate you communicating with the show. Yes, we do. So a little bit more, not more follow-up, but some follow-up. It looks like the $10 bill, not the $20, but the $10 bill could very well be getting a facelift. Yes, the Treasury Department is preparing to announce that they are putting a woman on the $10 bill as a source has confirmed what appears to be a premature tweet. Treasury Secretary Jack Lew will announce Thursday that the Bureau of Engraving and Printing will put a woman on the bill as soon as 2020, which doesn't seem very soon, but apparently these things take time. Well, the wheels of government turn very slowly. You know, the United States is a very large ship, she is, Brittany, and it takes a long time to turn the ship, if you know what I mean. Right. You see the motion I'm making here? I do. Like I'm turning a giant, you know... Like sailor wheel on a on an old vessel. Yeah, it is a shame that the <laughs> listeners cannot see it because it is quite telling. We should start periscoping the broadcast and just face the camera at me so they can see all of my... I'm still doing yeah. the ship motion. You are. Please stop. Okay. While much of the focus for the redesign was on the $20 bill, CNN reported that in March, the $10 bill was also due for a makeover. And this includes the possibility of replacing... Hamilton. That's right. Alexander Hamilton, who happens to be the very first secretary of the Treasury. Uh, he was also a very big government guy. He and Thomas Jefferson, ah, ah, they battled it out. Yeah. That was, I was bumping fists. Yeah. Like smashing heads of goats or sheep. <laughs> I'm full. I'm, I'm animated today. Yes, you are. It's great. But no one can tell. So that's a bummer. You can tell. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm loving every minute of it. So... <laughs> This this new campaign, you can share your support or tweet who you want to have on the new 10 by using the hashtag the new 10. Yes. Hashtag the new 10. That's some creative government work in action. Yeah. Right there. Just let everyone know who you would like on the $10 bill. Yeah. And everyone should follow my lead and have the new 10 hashtag the new 10 be Harriet Tubman. Okay, well, Jake Tapper from CNN, he wants Alice Paul. Well, he's wrong. Listen, Jay Tap, you need to step in line with Jay Dahl. Mm. No, no good. <laughs> not as good as Jay Tap. <laughs> I mean, it's just not as good. I have I have given a litany of reasons why Harriet Tubman should be on the twenty, and it works perfectly well that she be on the ten. I'm okay with that. Besides, we don't you're want, okay with it. We don't want an illegitimate 
born out of wedlock foreigner on our money? Um, Alexander Hamilton? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Born in the Virgin Islands, Mm -hmm. not an American citizen. That's why he wasn't qualified to be president of the United States. And he was a bastard. Much like me. We have a lot in common in that way, but he, uh, nope. Big government guy. Brittany is at a loss right now. This has been seemingly therapeutic. I mean, I'm not sure. Very cathartic to, okay. s- to, to share my secrets yeah, yes. with the audience. And also, and also Alexander Hamilton. To malign Alexander Hamilton. Yeah. They're I, not really secrets. They're hundreds of years old, have been written in biographies and such. <laughs> Moving on. Dollamocracy 2016. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. (laughs) Two more. We have two more official entrants into the race for President of the United States. Jeb Bush announced on Monday. And I've decided I'm a candidate for President of the United States of America. Real good. Finally... He's in the race officially. He prematurely, kind of, sort of, announced about a month ago, quickly retracted mid-sentence or corrected himself because apparently Jeb Bush isn't a big ship that takes a lot of time to move or steer. He can steer mid-sentence, Brittany. Right. So, of course, Jeb Bush was the governor of Florida from 1999 to 2007. He's the son of George H.W. Bush, the 41st president, the brother of George W. Bush, Mm the 43rd president. And he is looking to be the 45th. Yes. And he is a Catholic Republican, obviously. He's a convert to Catholicism. That's extra crazy to me. So would you like to discuss Jeb Bush on the issues? What what does Jeb Bush think about things? I would love to know. I know that he is not an option for me because he does not pass my litmus test of supporting the rights of gays to marry. Right. But so what else? What other nuttery does he believe in? Well, I don't know if it's nuttery, but <laughs> let's just do it. On immigration, Mr. Bush says he believes that, and anyway, the New York Times is calling him Mr. Bush, so that's why I did that. So, Jeb Bush, I'm not going to do that, because that's, (laughs) one, it's hard to say, and... Mr. You keep wanting to do that Dutch thing. Yeah. Oh, it's Mr. So, Jeb says he believes that people who are in this country illegally should be offered a path to legal status. Quote, you pay your fines, you get provisional work permits where you come out of the shadows, you pay taxes, you pay fines, you don't receive government assistance, you learn English, you don't commit crimes. Any of those things that you do would be a deportable offense. Deportable. I've never heard it that way, but it's uh, Mr. Bush is good at that. He also called, (laughs) as many Republican candidates have, for tougher enforcement of immigration laws, including prosecuting businesses that hired undocumented workers. I'm okay with that. I think that, one, uh, the path to citizenship should be a lot easier if you follow. It should not maybe not easier, but certainly shorter. It shouldn't be um, or entry into the country. The whole process should be streamlined. It's a clusterfuck as it is, and it's too difficult. It's it's I don't know. We do. We definitely need some kind of comprehensive reforms relative to the system. But offering a path to legal status is more of a liberal Republican stance on immigration. That is exactly right. It would be what what what, like we've talked about in the past. My parents would consider a rhino position. Yeah, and this could be his wife's influence, Columba Bush, I think is her name, Mm -hmm. and he met her in Mexico, and he speaks fluent Spanish. If you watched Jimmy Fallon last night, you saw that he speaks Spanish. I did. Well, he also- I very much enjoyed it. There's lots of, during different campaigns, especially it was very effective in Florida with the large Cuban population, or Cuban population, he he does full ads in Spanish. So he, he definitely is a Spanish speaker. Um, but he said even on on Jimmy Fallon, like you were saying, that at home, that's the language that they speak. Mm-hmm. So 
So he's not just putting it on is what I'm saying. So on foreign policy, Mr. Bush says that American combat forces should not be sent to Iraq to fight the group calling itself Islamic State. Why is it saying group calling itself the Islamic State? Right. Well, they don't want to give credibility to an Islamic State as an official government or country. Okay. But that some troops should be embedded with Iraqi forces there, quote, to help train them and to identify targets. He has called the Obama's administration's framework of an agreement with Iran to curb its nuclear program a, quote, horrific deal, and like fellow Republican contenders, said he would most likely cancel any final agreement reached by the administration should he become president. He's also an unwavering supporter of Israel and its prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu. Yeah, well, that's kind of a given that you have to be to, to, to win that evangelical Christian vote because they, they are doomsday. Their religion is a death cult and you have to be a supporter of Israel because that's where the, the, the sky is going to open up. And the battle of uh, Megiddo or Armageddon, you know, the field, that's where that's going to happen. So there are certain prophetic things that have to take place that all hinge around Israel still being a country. So if we back out and don't support them, and then, you know, Iran and L- Lebanon and Syria and Egypt, all those bordering countries, if they just go run roughshod over them, then, oh no, Jesus isn't going to come back until they come back to, you know, it's a whole thing. Uh-oh. But about the ISIS thing, he's he's really not far off the Obama position on that because, listen, everybody, boots on the ground are boots on the ground. Whether they're in, in a, in a consultative position or whether they are actually war fighters, b- American boots on the ground are American boots on the ground. So don't parse your words or call them advisors or whatever. If we have American skin in the game in the game, then goddamn, you know? Ugh. Anyway. So same-sex marriage, signaling his opposition to same-sex marriage, Mr. Bush says he believes in traditional marriage. Yeah, he does. But he has also suggested an openness to some form of recognition of same-sex unions. Quote, I hope that we can show respect for the good people on all sides of the gay and lesbian marriage issue, he said in January, including couples making lifetime commitments to each other who are seeking greater legal protections and those of us who believe marriage is a sacrament and want to safeguard religious liberty. Douche chill. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. Well, he's being more open, at least, than other Republican candidates. Well, that, that's fine. That's great. It's just, it's calling it something different. It, it, look, it's a cop-out. It, it is not. And I know you, I'm not, I'm not t- teaching you or preaching to you because I know you share my belief. But Yeah, I just watched him on Jimmy Fallon, so now I really like... I'm feeling some sort of likeness for him. <laughs> well, he's a nice guy. I'm not saying he's not a, a good man. Right. He's just wrong on this issue. And here's the other thing. That is true. Is the court is going to decide this matter. And it doesn't fucking matter what he says. Because short of a constitutional amendment, it's he's not going to get his way. His policy, he would be better off. Or maybe he's hedging his bets knowing that the court's going to rule that way and then he won't have to make a proclamation. You know, he won't have any policy decision to be made. Right. Well, and that is the smart thing to do, I would think. You didn't get my vote doing that. But, it, well, yeah. But it's also... And my vote's the only one that counts. The only me. one. <laughs> he's also, interestingly enough, not going to the extreme, it seems, in the beginning, like candidates are supposed to do. Well, it would be hard for him to do that. It would be a, a Mitt Romney of the of the grandest proportions because he did rule he governed as a moderate in florida he's he's a big common core guy which is a liberal thing there's a lot of things he does that really piss off the right the extreme right of the party okay so on the environment he says the climate is changing and i'm concerned about that we need to work with the rest of the world to negotiate a way to reduce carbon emissions so obviously these remarks set him apart from the other Republican candidates yeah. who deny that climate change is a thing and, you know, think everything's a conspiracy. Scientists don't know what they're talking about, etc. So the final subject, economy and budget. While focusing his economic message on inequality and middle class wage stagnation, Mr. Bush has not yet <laughs> offered detailed... Rep- Senior Bush! <laughs> 
Mr. Bush has not yet Senior off- Bush has not yet offered detailed proposals <laughs> to confront these issues. He has said he would Senior Bush. <laughs> he has said he would try to nearly double the nation's annual growth rate to four percent to create jobs. Senior Bush. Don- <laughs> Though he favors simplifying the tax code, he has not yet specified how he would change the federal tax system. As governor, though, he signed several tax cuts into law, including a cut and then a repeal of Florida's 0.2% tax on stocks, bonds, and other so-called intangible assets. Senior Bush? <laughs> Sorry if you <laughs> didn't get any of that because I was laughing throughout the entire thing. Finally, it's a red-letter day that I've made you laugh on the show. Anyway. Usually, you shit on my jokes in silence, Brittany Page. Yes, I am known to do that sometimes. And what I mean by that is your silence is effectively shitting on my jokes. Well... Wow, <laughs> even right there. Goddamn. Sometimes you laugh at yourself and that takes care of it so I don't have to worry hey, listen, about anything. If you're not going to laugh, somebody's got to. And I'm the only one in the room other than you. Right. Maybe I should have a laugh track sound effect. <laughs> that would be nice. No, that would be It'd terrible. Make things easier for me. I could hear podcast dials flipping off all over the world. That's true. So he's not the only candidate that announced on Monday. It is a wonderful thing. When a day like this comes along. Ah, Donald Trump in the race officially making me maybe more shocked than anybody because I've been saying for a long time he's just playing around. He's not trying to be an actual candidate. I didn't think he would do it just based on the fact that he wasn't that I didn't believe him to be willing to share his the most intimate of financial details relative to his income and his net worth. Well, apparently he is willing to do that because he announced for president. And you all should be very happy and really appreciative of the time that I take with the show to inform you because I listened to his 45-minute blathering on braggadocious bullshit uh, announcement speech and I pieced together a little bit of the most important things for you to know about his candidacy. I am officially running for President of the United States, and we are going to make our country great again. Obamacare. Obamacare. Yesterday it came out that costs are going for people up 29, 39, 49, and even 55 percent. And deductibles are through the roof. You have to get hit by a tractor, literally a tractor, to use it. A $5 billion website. I have so many websites. I have them all over the place. I hire people, they do a website. It costs me $3. Obama is going to be out playing golf. He might even be on one of my courses. I would invite him. I actually would say. I have the best courses in the world, so I'd say, you know what, if he wants to see, I have one right next to the White House, right on the Potomac. If he'd like to play, that's fine. They're controlled fully by the lobbyists, by the donors, and by the special interests, fully. That's, they control them. Hey, I have lobbyists, I have to tell you. I have lobbyists that can produce anything for me. They're great. But you know what? It won't happen. I will be the greatest jobs president that God ever created. I tell you that. (laughs) The greatest. So we need people. I'm a free trader. But the problem with free trade is you need really talented people to negotiate for you. If you don't have talented people, if you don't have great leadership, if you don't have people that know business, not just a political hack that got the job because he made a contribution to a campaign, which is the way all jobs just about are gotten, free trade is terrible. Free trade can be wonderful if you have smart people. But we have people that are stupid. And you know, China comes over and they dump all their stuff, and I buy it. 
I buy it because, frankly, I have an obligation to buy it. I'm really rich. I'll show you that in a second. And by the way, I'm not even saying that in a brag. That's the kind of mindset. That's the kind of thinking you need for this country. And I'm the one that made all of the right predictions about Iraq because we need money. We're dying. We're dying. We need money. But Mr. Trump, you're not a nice person. That's true. But actually, I am. I think I am a nice person. People that know me like me. Does my family like me? I think so, right? Look at my family. And some of them are like third world countries. But we're becoming a third world country. So I said, that's okay. I'm proud of my net worth. I've done an amazing job. And I have assets. Big accounting firm. One of the most highly respected. Nine billion two hundred and forty million dollars and I have liabilities of about 500 that's long-term debt very low interest rates in fact one of the big banks came to me said Donald you don't have enough borrowings could we loan you four billion dollars I said I don't need it so the total is eight billion seven hundred and thirty seven million five hundred and forty thousand dollars now I'm not doing that I'm not doing that to brag because you know what? I don't have to brag. I don't have to, believe it or not. I would build a great wall, and nobody builds walls better than me, believe me. And I'll build them very inexpensively. I will build a great, great wall on our southern border, and I will have Mexico pay for that wall. Nobody would be tougher on ISIS than Donald Trump. Nobody. Rebuild the country's infrastructure. Nobody can do that like me. Believe me. It will be done on time, on budget, way below cost, way below what anyone ever thought. Sadly, the American dream is dead. So he feels real (laughs) good about himself. Well, of course he does. He's Donald goddamn Trump. Yeah. It is, it is, uh, I mean, really, there's nothing much that we could add to that or, I mean, the jokes write themselves. This guy is, he has the lowest, the, the, he's the richest man with the lowest self-esteem maybe in the world. Even when he talks about the accounting company that he went through to have them go, you know, meticulously go through his income and his net worth, he has to say, oh, one of the top, very well-respected, very well-respected. We get it. You're Donald Trump. You're a billionaire. You're not going to go with Fred's accounting on Fifth Avenue. You're going to go with Deloitte too. you know, some some major company. Anyway, uh, it's shocking to me that the networks have actually sat down with him and interviewed Fox News. It's been a, a jerk fest for them for the last two days sitting with Bill O'Reilly sat down with him Sean Hannity sat down god damn don't give this guy a platform of legitimacy when he is clearly a goddamn clown 538 they put together some data some talking points maybe about why Donald Trump isn't a real candidate They say that Trump is the first candidate in modern presidential primary history to begin the campaign with a majority of his own party disliking him. A whopping 57% of Republicans have an unfavorable view of Trump, according to an average of the three most recent polls. That beats former record holder Pat Buchanan, who had a 43% unfavorable rating at this point in the 2000 election cycle. Buchanan, of course, ended up running as an independent. I saw a number today, not to cut you off, but I saw a number today because he immediately flew to Iowa to try to court the voters there. And they had polling data. I'm not sure if it was CNN or Fox News, but they had they had polling data that indicated that I think 58 percent of Republican voters said no fucking way. No way I would vote for Donald Trump. Not just an unfavorable view of him, but a no way would I vote for him. Sorry, go ahead. Taking into account 
name recognition, Trump's net favorability rating, which is favorable minus unfavorable, of negative 32 percentage points, stands out for its pure terribleness at this point in the campaign. Like his unfavorable rating, it is by far the worst of the 106 presidential candidates since 1980 who are in 538's database. Wow, that is awesome. So 538 says, for this reason alone, Trump has a better chance of cameoing in another Home Alone movie with Macaulay Culkin <laughs> or playing in the NBA finals than winning the oh, Republican nomination. Wow. They're funny over there at 538.com. Real funny. Yeah, that's good. What else? Well, there's also a rumor that is starting to swirl mm. around Donald Trump. I love me some rumors. Right. That he paid actors $50 to cheer for him at the 2016 announcement, which I kind of believe because if you were listening to the clips that you pulled, there's many people that are just too excited. Oh, you're real excited they, about, about everything and about things that a Republican crowd wouldn't necessarily be cheering about. Right. I think he said, I'm not mean or something. And, and they said, well, we don't we don't need nice. Or he said, oh, I'm nice. And they said, we don't. There, people something are, people happened are too that was nice weird. or something. And then they said, oh, they, we don't need nice. Well, that's that's true. That's true. Right. But I'm nice. I think I'm a nice guy. And then he says, oh, my family thinks I'm nice. Well, really, Dickhole, your family likes you. Oh, well, then everybody should like you. Yeah, it was the most vocal crowd that I've heard so far, I think. So he's being accused of hiring actors to cheer for him. The allegations first surfaced in a post by anti-Trump activist and liberal blogger Angelo Caruso that was published on Medium shortly after Trump's event. On Wednesday, The Hollywood Reporter said it obtained an email that allegedly came from a casting company named Extra Mile, offering actors $50 to attend the announcement and pose as Trump supporters. According to The Hollywood Reporter, the email was sent June 11th, and they stated they were looking to cast people for the event to wear T-shirts and carry signs and help cheer him in support of his announcement. That does not surprise me. That sounds like a page right out of his playbook, something that the, the Trump camp would do. I wouldn't be surprised if Donald Trump himself made the goddamn phone calls. You know what I mean? Right. All right. Well, let's let's move off of presidential politics. I don't know how much we're going to be covering Donald Trump. Unfortunately, the the it's probably going to be more than I would like just based on the fact for the funny aspect, because he's going to be saying a lot of dumb shit that we'll want to cover because it's a historic thing when you have a man of this level of stupidity, and I, I don't mean stupid like he's dumb, because clearly he's worth $9 billion. That's not by chance. You right. know, he's he's clearly got a head on his shoulders. You know, he's, he's, not a, he's not a complete idiot. It's just a wildly narcissistic head. Absolutely. The, the arrogance is what leads him, not intelligence. So, we will move on. Ion Hirsi Ali... Um, Former Muslim, current atheist, a woman who suffered female genital mutilations by, at the hands of her family, is currently in a big thank video, and she has some, a challenge, I guess, for the likes of Ben Affleck and those types of liberals, and she just has some thoughts about maybe what went on during the Bill Maher show, and also just some generally interesting things, challenges intellectually for Ben Affleck and his ilk. Well, I look at a Sam Harris and Ben Affleck discussion, and I think there's a thinker and there's somebody who's not thinking. They both think of themselves as liberals. Sam Harris spends his days and hours and time thinking. So he's been following these things for a very, very long time. I do not know Ben Affleck. I've seen very little of his work. I think he's a brilliant actor. And I think he is a leading figure in the United States of America. But it's absolutely, it was absolutely clear he hadn't given a thought to this. Ben, we have to be able to criticize bad ideas. And of course we Islam, do. No liberal doesn't okay, want to okay. criticize bad ideas. But Islam but why at this moment is the mother load of bad ideas. Jesus. So we have... We have <laughs> That's ideas just a like, fact. Like blasphemy. No. It is it's a, an ugly apostasy. I will give him one point, which is this. So Mohammed, an individual who is influencing 
over one-fifth of humanity. He is the only really historic figure we cannot draw anymore. We can't discuss him without saying, peace be upon him. So a very powerful historic figure, a historic figure whose power comes into the 21st century and is upsetting geopolitical structures. Would Ben Affleck play the part? He can play Batman, but would he play Mohammed? And the answer to that question tells me he needs a second chance to think these things through. Any actor in Hollywood who is very successful, who is not willing to act that part, should not go around making accusations of bigotry to others. I, I'm not denying not, that, that certain people are bigoted against Muslims as people, that's, right. and that's a that's problem. big of you. But the... But why have, are you so hostile to, about this it's, it's gross. It's racist. It's, it's not. It's, but it's so not. It's, so, it's like saying it's those so not your shifty Jew. You're not listening Absolutely to not. what well, we are saying. Let's go back to the time of communism. There were people <laughs> who went around making excuses for communism because they didn't know about the gulag. And when they found out about the gulag, they found out about what communism actually led to. They were saying, we were right in our hearts even though we were wrong with our heads, is that where we are with Islam today and liberalism? Islamic extremism is an assault on the ideas of liberalism, on the idea of innovation, on women, on gays, on tolerance, on civilization. You may choose not to see it and bury your head in the sand. It's a choice. You may choose not to say anything about it. It's a choice. When you attack the people who actually stick their heads out and accuse them of bigotry, again, the scene of a Ben Affleck accusing a Sam Harris of bigotry, that tells me, do you really know what you're saying? It's almost like giving a child a time out. You know, just don't, I, I, it's, it's like, Ben, you're a great guy. Go and rethink this. Uh, go and think. Go and think. I love what they do over there at Big Think with these kind of videos. I, I found this one very interesting, and it's been a little bit of a firestorm on Twitter about this. About what she said in the video? About what she says and, and claiming that, you know, it kind of goes back to this the, the thought of just because you're critical of Islam doesn't mean you're racist against Muslims or brown people. Just because you're critical of the philosophies espoused within the Quran and the religion of Islam doesn't mean you hate individual Muslims. And that seems to be, and seemed to be, what Ben Affleck was getting at. Right. Well, maybe he should watch this video because Ayan Hirsi Ali has dark skin. That's right. And it is interesting because Sam Harris uh, is writing a new book with Majid Nawaz, who is a former Islamist yeah, uh, extremist. Yeah, yeah. And he's writing this book with Sam Harris. I think it's Islam in the Future of Tolerance, I think is what the title is. Maybe, yeah. And I saw a tweet recently because Sam Harris tweeted a picture of the the prototype, the the perspective cover of the book. And someone said, oh, here's white Sam Harris again making critiques of Islam. Yeah. And clearly not knowing. <laughs> and Majid Nawaz is dark skin. Yeah, not white. So, he is, he is you, when you think of a Muslim, he is tr what you would traditionally think of as a Muslim. And he's the co-author with Sam Harris on this book. But people are focusing on the race issue, which just seems irrelevant. I don't how I don't understand it. It's, yeah. it's gross. It's racist. <laughs> it never gets old listen I, I, I don't know where to go with this I, I think that it's interesting I, I wanted to share it with the audience the video because it's it's out of the mouth of someone who has been brutalized and victimized by Islam and the philosophies within the religion within the culture and the stratus of everything that it encompasses so it's not just, oh, this is the religion of peace, and we're going to go with that trope, because it's not that. She had her clitoris 
carved away and not in a surgical manner, but in some crazy religious ceremony. It, I mean, listen, if you think circumcision is brutal, this is a thousand times more brutal than that. It's it's terrible. So it's nice to have someone who has a first-hand perspective giving their opinion on it. I really wish that Ben Affleck would come around and respond to this or at least sit down with her, even in private, and talk with someone who is in the know. It's Don't sit around with a bunch of white people. Go to the source. Go to someone who actually is critical of it, who lived it. That would be useful. That would be helpful. What do you say, Brittany? You want to talk a little bit about some home matters? Some Idaho nutter butter bullshit? Always. <laughs> Well, apparently Idaho Republicans, everyone knows, for the record, if, if you just started listening or you had your ears closed over the course of the last 132 episodes, I am a sixth-generation Idahoan who currently resides in the Los Angeles, California area. Well, the Idaho Republican Party wants the Bible in schools used in the instruction of astronomy and other sciences. A set of proposed resolutions crafted by the state Republican Party's Central Committee says that it wants the Bible in schools. While the Bible could add value to a number of subjects such as social studies, literature, and comparative religion, according to this article, um, it's not widely recognized for being much help with plate tectonics. <laughs> Yet the resolution also suggests that the Bible should be used in classes on astronomy, biology, geology, world geography, archaeology, music, and sociology. Uh, Somehow chemistry and physics escaped the committee's notice. Weird. Th this is, there are several of these proposals all over the country right now. We are seeing a resurgence in the face of these RIFRA, you know, uh, Religious Freedom Restoration Acts. And there is a an uptick in the amount of interest shown by the right wing of the Republican Party to try to make as much headway with inserting the Bible into public schools as they can. Well, so are they at least going to provide scriptures that they're going to be using to teach the astronomy or what is how is the Bible going to be helping out with these these subjects? I don't know. You have to keep in mind that this is a state where the legislature still has done nothing relative to the the number of parents who are effectively murdering their children and using the Bible as a defense by not getting their kids medical treatment. They are allowing them to die by very at the hands of very treatable illnesses because of their religious flavor, whatever their issue is. And the Idaho legislature has not stepped in. They will do nothing because of the quote unquote religious liberty issue. It's very problematic. Idaho has a massive problem on their hand. And unless they take a U-turn here, get rid of their goddamn governor, Butch Otter, this is going to continue. Um, for at least another decade, because I don't see a, a change happening anytime soon. So let's talk about this, Brittany. There's an article written by a guy named Dustin Petzold. It's titled, Another Day, Another Offended College Student. Apparently, at Crafton Hills College, some students are in an uproar about a graphic novel or comic called uh, Persepolis, which is about a young woman growing up in the Islamic Revolution in Iran, and her name is Marjan Satrapi. So these students read the, the gra graphic novel. It was just one student. Oh, the one student. Yeah, that's even worse. One student. Tara Schultz. Tara Schultz read the graphic novel and was so taken aback and appalled by what was in it that she created a stink. Right. She says, quote, it was shocking. I didn't expect to open the book and see that graphic material within. I expected Batman and Robin, not pornography. Uh, Karen Schultz, is that her name? Tara. Tara Schultz. So she is a student who is pursuing an associate's degree in English, but apparently just wants to read Batman and Robin. <laughs> 
Tara Schultz. So Dustin Petzold, who wrote this article, he says, problem number one, anyone who expects Batman and Robin to grace the syllabus of a college level literature course probably needs to realign their expectations and may not be ready for the whole college level thing entirely. (laughs) Right. Well, at least we have somebody who calls it like he sees it. It's ridiculous. I was waiting for Batman and Robin. Is she a religious nutter? Did they say anything about that? There is nothing said about that. No. So what did the college do as a result of her crying foul that she didn't find Batman and Robin in her graphic novel? Instead, found hard-hitting, informational... This is an award-winning film this thing was turned into, so... Well, yeah, it's a graphic novel, so apparently she just wasn't aware of maybe what that meant or what that would entail in a college-level course, Hmm. and so she thought it maybe was going to be a comic, Right. Or, or some sort of like a children's book. Like X-Men. Like a cartoon book, a pop-up book or something. Right, I, don't, right. I don't know what she was expecting. Yeah. But So the college has said that in future semesters, it will add a disclaimer to the uh. course's syllabus. So trigger warning. <laughs> and Dustin Petzold says in this article, perhaps they would be better off putting such a disclaimer at the campus gate and inviting those who are unwilling to engage graphic content or opposing ideas to spend their time elsewhere. That sounds like a good idea. That's what colleges all across this country should be doing. If you're too sensitive, if if you need your hand held to to contend with adult material in your adult class accompanied by other adults, then that is what they need to do. Well, I think there should be an expectation at college that you're going to be exposed to new ideas, you're going to encounter new ways of thinking yes. that, that you're going to be stretched beyond where you currently are challenge yeah that should be the expectation and so when that happens of course it's going to be a little shocking it's going to feel uncomfortable it's you're, you're going to be out of your realm but it's important for you to go through that process and you're going to be better for it and you need to come to college with an open mind expecting that i think 100 percent, 100 percent. well speaking of college Actually, this has nothing to do with college other than the fact that this is research done (laughs) at a university. But uh, a study by Sabrina Chiarella at Concordia University. This is super interesting. It kind of piggybacks what we talked about many, many episodes ago about Paul Bloom and the research with babies that he's done at Yale University. We should probably readdress that one of these episodes. Maybe next episode we'll talk about that again because... I think that was in the first five episodes that we talked about that stuff, and it's really, really good. Yeah, but in short, the Paul Bloom thing is where babies can see a scenario acted out in front of them and determine if a character is bad or good, Yeah, and they will actually hand out punishments to the bad character if they're interfering with someone from achieving something. Right, or withhold cookies or whatever. They have all these scenarios. Super great. If not next episode, one of these next episodes, we'll figure out a way to kind of present it in a really good way rather than just copying, pasting audio and having it play for you. Anyway, Sabrina Chiarella, she did a study to find out what babies understand about adults and their sadness. Not the baby's sadness, but what they understand about adults' sadness. Right, so she took 71 children, all around the age of 18 months old, and acted out one of two scenarios for them. Half of the baby saw her get sad and dejected after someone unjustly snatched away her toys. The other half saw her react a bit differently. When the toys were taken away, she remained outwardly collected. Hmm. A camera captured the children's facial expressions as they watched the skits. Those who saw her express sadness looked and acted a bit more concerned than those who witnessed her stoic reserve. So what does all that mean? Well, initially, it seems as though the babies are able to tell that when she is expressing sadness, they can tell because they're expressing they look a little more concerned. They're looking at her like, oh, her toys got snatched away. She's not looking so hot. And maybe even empathy. Uh, I know what that's like. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, <laughs> my toys just got snatched from me yesterday. God damn it. Yeah, and then if if she looks okay after that happens, then they're just kind of like, oh, she looks okay. I, right. Maybe I don't need to worry about it. Huh. 
But later, when the researcher played with each baby, they all seemed to be equally trusting of her emotional responses. They tried to help her when she seemed like she needed it, and they all showed showed her empathy. These are average 18 months old, by the way. So if she acted sad while she was playing with them, they would give her a teddy bear to make her feel better. Oh, Hmm. well, you're sad. Here, I'm going to give you a bear because that makes adults happy. And (laughs) all of the babies... stupid year and a half old babies. (laughs) All of the babies were just as willing to help her reach objects. This study appears in the Journal of Infant Behavior and Development. It suggests that by 18 months of age, babies have a fairly sophisticated understanding of human emotion. They seem willing to give stoic people the benefit of the doubt. They understand that overt sadness is appropriate after a negative experience, but also understand that a neutral response doesn't necessarily mean a person is untrustworthy. This study builds on Chiarella's previous research, which found that unlike 15-month-old babies, by 18 months, children are able to pick up when someone's emotional reaction doesn't make sense. The 18-month-olds act confused when someone gets upset after good things happen, and they are less likely to trust that person in the future. So, for example, if she was given a bunch of toys, but she acted sad, they would be like, uh, that that's, this doesn't jive. Yeah, that's not yeah. mapping on there. And <laughs> I don't know if I can trust this person because they're that doesn't make any sense. Right, right. So at 18 months old, babies are already piecing these things together and recognizing emotions and, and seeing where things fit, where things don't fit. Sure. And most importantly, I think picking up on adult sadness, which is really crazy. Well, I think it's it, it really does piggyback onto some of that Paul Bloom stuff, which we'll talk about. But um Fascinating. I'm glad there are people in the world like Sabrina Chiarella, Paul Bloom, who go into kind of obscure areas of research that that really turn out super fascinating results. Because this does just add to the compendium of understanding of the human brain and our development from from early, early childhood, early, early childhood through to adulthood. It's awesome. Beautiful stuff. Well, and in this article, they say that it also used to be that we thought that infants only look to other people for emotional support and reassurance. And they say that's not wrong, but now we're beginning to see there's more to it. And so it might not be that they're looking to other people for emotional support and reassurance, but they're also looking to other people to figure out what emotions are and how all that works. And Well, it's ultimately their young babies at even a year and a half or a year old are more emotionally intelligent than oftentimes we might give them credit. Right. Yeah. It's good. Real good. Well, maybe it's not real good, but we are going to leave you with a little of this. And Lordophiles, this episode is brought to you by. That's going to come in real handy, Brittany Page. In fact, that might we might just want to make that the the theme song <laughs> for the Lordophiles. Uh, in this episode, we have a clip of a nine one one call that is really it is just it is beautiful. So before we play the clip, though, uh, let's give a little bit of a breakdown, Brittany, on exactly, well, I don't think we can ever get exactly what happened, goddamn, but let's give a, a vague generalization about what the audience is getting ready to hear in the form of this 911 call. Florida home health aide Marcina Walker, 21, allegedly slapped and kicked her 68-year-old patient, then stripped naked on Sunday afternoon. The healthcare worker put on her patient's clothing and is accused of attacking the patient. So, so obviously, well, it would seem to me obvious that some drugs are in play here. But here's the here's the here's the nine one one call. There were actually two. The first one was the woman who either knows the victim, the victim being the old man. And then the second one is like a neighbor. And that's this call. And I just, we should have a clicker to tick how many times this guy says the word naked. 911, what's the address of your emergency? I just called a little bit ago. You guys got to get here, man. The situation is getting out of hand. Just a minute. I thought we had units on the way out there. They do, sir. They have- well, they need to get here. 
I mean, what's going on there now? What's what's changed? Well, the girl is naked. She's walking around naked. The 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 the, the stroke patient George. She's she's putting her body into his face and everything else. You got to get her. The girl's okay, off the deep end. So the Let's go. I mean, she's already kicked. She's already kicked the the wife. She's already smacked her in the face. I'm I'm not going to touch her. I can't touch her. She's naked. I can't. Uh, there's. I mean, I, I, I'm I can't touch her because then I'm going to be. She's naked. She's walking around here naked. Okay, so she's. <clears throat> what, um, where is she at right now? I, I just. He's sitting in the garage. You guys pull up out front. George is sitting in a chair right behind the screen door at the in the garage, and she's got her naked body. She's. It's unreal. <laughs> totally unreal. I think I'm watching some Charlie Sheen show or something. Oh, got <clears throat> they got two on the way out there. Charlie okay, Sheen I show, Brittany. And emergency, too. More likely, uh, you know, I guess she's going to have to go to circles of care or something. Because right. she's either on medication and ain't taking. I got you. Let me look in this call and see, make sure we've got everything we need then to make that happen. Hang on for me just a second, okay? Let me read this real quick. All right. <laughs> All right. I mean, she, she, I, I've sort of just asked her to tell us what's wrong, and but I can't touch her. She, she's got no clothes on. She's naked. All right, who is she to you? How, how do you know her? Huh? You're the caretaker? No, I'm not the caretaker. I'm talking, this is the caretaker that's doing this. Right. This is the female caretaker. Okay, so the, the caretaker is the female that's causing all of this. The problem, yes. I live here. I, I I rent a room from from this lady. We uh, the, the, we all go to the same church, or the lady that I'm renting a room from. So I'm just here because I rent a room. They have a care person come every other day, every day. This is a. I can't really get a. What's her? The female caretaker is the problem, and she's currently right now. Is the problem? Is she white, black, or Hispanic? She's naked. Is, she's black. I think we've already established that she's <laughs> naked. Is she white, black, or Hispanic? She's naked. Brittany, she's no, naked. No, he said the caretaker is the one that took her clothes off and is acting like that. Yeah. He's just so exasperated. Okay. Do you happen to know her name? They're all the same name. Yeah, yeah, it's right now. Okay. I got to get back in there and make sure she isn't hurting. Because all of a sudden the screen door, I'm walking around, and now the screen door is closed. You guys got to get here, man. All right, they're, they're on their way, okay, and we'll we'll get there as soon as we can. Are there any weapons in the house? I don't know, truthfully. I don't know if a man owns any guns or not. I don't think so, but. Yeah, yeah. there is. Yeah, there is. She's. She's hitting, she's smacked one person in the face. She's, like, throwing her body against one of the other patients. She's, it's actively occurring. Can you see her right oh, now? Yeah. That's in the scratch. Huh? Can you, sir, can you see her right now? Um, yes, I can see her right now. She's laying on the ground on the floor at like the feet of George naked. She's laying on the garage floor naked. Okay, we know. Laying on the floor, laying on the floor naked. I wonder if she's naked, Brittany. Now she just opened up a can of Fago orange or, or <laughs> some kissed orange. She's got 12 packs, so she's all messed up now. She's getting worse. Okay. Well, I guess we'll end it there. She's, okay. Now she's, she's starting to drink soda. She's still that. She's still coherent. Right now, but she does what I just now looked at. I'll look again. I don't want her to see me on the phone that much because I don't want her to retaliate against me. <laughs> and yeah, she's still conscious. I mean, she's sitting up against the wheel of the car now with her naked body looking right at George. Is she still in the car? Yes, yes. Okay, sir, I don't have any... Listen, I ask you these questions because I don't have any way of knowing it, so I'm just asking you so I can make sure I don't lose track of where she's at for the officers, okay? Because they're on their way there. Okay, they need to get here before. I don't know what she's going to do. We're letting it play. Oh, One minute left. <laughs> yeah, they need medics, too. Yeah. Well, she isn't taking medicine that she's supposed to be taking. I don't know why these care facilities, this organization doesn't cuss them first. Okay. But. Can you have um, rescue stage reference to possible 35 or single two? Uh, Are you talking to me? No, I'm trying to get... Yeah, she's out. reading okay. dispatch codes to you, dickhole. Okay. I mean, they're just right down the street. I see them goodbye every time I get a Dollar General. <laughs> Shocker. Okay. Well... 
the, the police department have to get on scene and clear it first, and then and then the paramedics can check her out. But they're going to deal with the police. Okay, all right. If they're on their way, just try to keep an eye on her, and if anything changes, call mm-hmm. back on 911, okay? I just, I don't want to have it. I'm hoping she don't go off the deep end, because... I, I all right. Try to keep an eye on her, and they're coming as fast as they can, okay? All right, all right. Thank you. Very, very disturbing. That might be the best Florida Files we've ever done. This is award-winning content, Brittany Page. Yeah. Seriously. This might even warrant some kind of a follow-up. I hope not. (laughs) I very much hope not. All right. We'll end it there. Brittany's not happy. I'm happy. About a five-minute 911 call where... He mentioned how naked she was maybe 15 times. Yeah, I think we I think we understood that pretty quickly that she was naked. Very quickly. I understood it on the second time that he said it. The second time. So not the first time. No, it took me twice. Okay. Once he said it twice, I'm like, oh, she must not have clothes on. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to end it there, everybody, with that beautiful Florida Files. We love you. We appreciate you for tuning in. As often as you do, we know that two episodes a week is double what most shows put out, and we are happy to have you join us as often as you do. If you'd like to support the show more than listening, you can visit dollamore.com, and on the left-hand side of the page, there is an Amazon search bar through which you can get to amazon.com to make your purchases. Father's Day's coming up. If you are a late gift buyer, that might be where you go to purchase your Father's Day accoutrement. If you're going to spend your money anyway, why not help out your favorite show filled with twice a week news news and ridiculous comment. If you also are an appreciator of what we do here and you'd like to set up a per episode donation at patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore. You can do that. You can also set a monthly maximum so you don't go over your budget. It's super slick what they've got going on over there. And it is a beautiful way to throw a little spare change at us and support us in that way. We would very much appreciate it as we do all of our current patrons. They are beautiful, beautiful humans. And the, the way that they support the show is just awesome. It's uh, We're forever in their debt. So I guess that's going to be it. Until next time, for Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. Senior Bush! <laughs> <laughs>